It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I met my next guest through another adoptee, Veronica, who can be heard on this podcast, Season 4, Episode 64, which aired on May 10th, 2022. The two of them have been working closely together in Jacksonville, Florida, to help adoptive parents navigate pre- and post-adoption in a healthier way. Her name is Tara Griffith. It was a privilege for her to trust me publicly in the telling of a part of her lived experience. She is a kinship adoptee, a birth mother of an open adoption of nearly 18 years, and a licensed clinical social worker. Her efforts to better inform adoptive parents led to her providing a resource to all members of the Constellation with the Saving Grace Adoption Services. Starting as a family services counselor for a community-based care agency in Florida, she quickly went on to work as an adoption specialist. In this role, she gained experience completing adoption home studies and furthering her knowledge regarding the interstate compact on the placement of children. ICPC is the process authorizing different states to work together to ensure that children who are placed in another state, either through foster care or in an adoptive home, are safely and adequately taken care of. Tara obtained her master's in clinical social work from Florida State University and is licensed in the state of Florida. She has extensive experience completing domestic adoption home studies, adoption counseling, expectant parent counseling, birth parent counseling, and assessments. Allow me to introduce to you someone who says she provides a unique perspective about adoption that allows for her clients to feel at ease, knowing that she understands adoption both professionally and personally. She believes in keeping the adoptee centered at all times through openness in adoption and offering education consultations for families, agencies, and attorneys. Tara, I am just so happy that you are taking the time out to spend with me and I with you for a conversation for Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, Veronica, an adoptee who's been a guest on my show, introduced us. And and I remember our first talk, and I thought, it's so much to your lived experience. And so I'm, I'm thinking that each listener is going to be glued to this episode in a good way. Yes. So I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I know a little bit about you, that you're an adoptee and a kinship adoptee. And it's just a handful of kinship adoptees that I've had the opportunity to have on the podcast. So I'm particularly interested to hear about your journey as it relates to that. And you were adopted at the age of 13 through an open adoption. And you're yes. Bir- yes. And you're a birth mom of almost 18 years in an open adoption. You are a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida who has spent the last 14 years working 
in the field of adoptions. And you're in Jacksonville. Let me first start off by asking you, how are you doing there? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, Jacksonville's been my home for, you know, since 2010. I like it here. Yeah, I sometimes wish I had some mountains around me, but, you know, uh, be a little closer to family. Um, but it's it's good. It's a good space. Yeah, I've been there one time visiting a friend, I want to say 2014, and I had a lovely time by the ocean. So I think you're in a pretty good spot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. So you opened a DCF licensed adoption home study agency in 2021 in the hopes that you could better be able to educate adoptive families pre- and post-adoption regarding the importance of always remaining adoptee-centered. I think adoptees love hearing that. Center the adoptee always. And regarding the nuances that develop as a child lives outside of their family of origin, and you provide adoption-competent therapy. To all members of the Constellation, as well, you provide adoption education consultations for families, agencies, and attorneys. Let's see where we can start. I'm going to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) I said a mouthful. You shared with me in an email. Where would you like to start? Uh, Oh, well, I I guess maybe starting with kind of why I'm here, you know, why I chose to open the agency and chose to get licensed and all those other things you mentioned. I think that's important. I'm I'm open sharing my story and I think I'm in a space to, to feel comfortable enough to do that. So, yeah, I know you mentioned that I am an adoptee and a kinship adoption. I was adopted at the age of 13. I did go and live with my adoptive family, who's actually my maternal uncle and his wife. Um, I do call them mom and dad, which can be confusing sometimes when I mention it to to friends and they'll go, wait, are you talking about your birth mom or your adopted mom? <laughs> so that's always fun. But I began living with my adoptive father and mother, um, actually prior to being adopted at the age of 11. I lived with them for specific reasons. My family life at the time with my biological family, uh, my biological parents, it just wasn't the safest space to be in. And so I went to go live with my aunt and uncle at that time, did a few bouncing around from uncle and aunts to back to my biological parents over to my grandmother back to my father. And then by that point, uh, I eventually landed back to my maternal uncle and aunt's home, uh, who eventually adopted me at the age of 13. You know, when you told me that you were kinship adoption, I imagined just from the few stories I've heard from other adoptees, that it comes with its own set of complicated circumstances. Would you like to speak on that from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, it it certainly does. I think adoptees and persons who have experienced being adopted, it's complex Yeah, in and of itself, right? Um, I think being an adoptee from kinship care is that, I don't know, for me, it was just sort of, it was confusing a lot of the times. And I 
just had this conversation the other day of this feeling of, well, I'm going to these family functions. I'm seeing my biological family, but I'm living with my adoptive family who's from the same family. You know, there's a lot of me feeling as if I'm standing in the middle and where do I fit in? So a lot of confusion that wasn't really addressed out loud with me like hey we're we're gonna go for Christmas we're gonna go for Thanksgiving we're you know we're going to see your biological mother and father and how do you feel about that or just there was no talking of it yeah I just picture it being very I like your word confusing though that's not my experience I picture that a lot of people believe in family preservation, and, and I, I would put myself in that camp. However, it, it, it's a lot that has to be navigated with that family preservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just particularly think it's hard, especially like you say, when you're not allowed to address it out loud. Yeah. I would probably add to that, that I think that's kind of where it comes into play with, you know, these adoptive families and whether it's kinship care, closed adoption, uh, excuse me, kinship care, non-family, you know, foster, whatever, that these adults that are around children, you know, they need the tools, they need the ability to have a chance of learning so that they can have open dialogue in an age-appropriate way, but an open dialogue with the child that they're, they're adopting and have in their home. Yeah. When you talk about the elephant in the room, it actually makes it feel safer, right? To talk about it and to know your story, which then leads to asking questions and just feeling comfortable. So. Yeah, that's well said. I think the doggy in the back agrees with that. Open dialogue (laughs) is important. Address that elephant in the room. Yeah, the doggy's like, I totally concur. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to talk a lot about, actually, the services you provide. And I know Veronica and you work closely when it comes to what you expect from adoptive parents. You want to talk a little bit about that? And the name... Saving Grace. I love that name. Thank you. I've always been one to sort of have to feel like I have to explain myself at times, and I am working on that, but I I do feel it's important to kind of explain, you know, the name of my agency. I've yet to have someone say, you know, why does it have the word saving? We don't need saving. It's not about saving children. Uh, Saving Grace is just sort of my own take on just gracefully being able to speak with families and provide them the opportunity to save them the ability of potential road that they're going on from messing it up and being able to educate them so that they can make it adoptee centered. And then it's also a a play on words with my daughter that I placed for adoption 18 years ago in August. So this coming August. So Veronica uh, was rooted in adoption. She's wonderful. I can't thank her enough. We talk every day. 
we process through our own stories and it's just been a great space to feel safe enough to just talk about it, you know, and she tells me her perspective and a closed adoption and I tell her mine and we just share space for each other to learn from each other. She and I are doing every month, we do, it's called Adoptee Brew and every other month is virtual with a different theme. This month, we've got one coming up on the 18th from 5 to 7, which is virtual. And it's for adoptive parents, whether you're trying to adopt or whether you have. It's just a live Q&A. It's an ability for people to just show up to the table, ask questions, allow us the opportunity to answer them each from our own perspectives. And it's just so valuable. And Veronica had this great idea, and I said, let's do it. Let's do it. I do ask my families that I work with to do specific trainings and education. And Veronica provides consultations from her viewpoint of her lived experience. And you can, if you ever want to receive that from her, you can go to her website, which is rootedinadoption.com. I have her journal that she yes. produced, um, Rooted in Adoption. And and then, of course, there's the book she co-wrote. I think she's just making wonderful contributions to the community. And she has really supported me through the years in whatever I've been doing. So a shout-out to Veronica. And while we're she talking about prospective adoptive parents, have you received any pushback from them or from any members of the Constellation about the work you're doing with Saving Grace Adoption Services? I have. I think in the sense of from the families that I work with, you know, I, just to put some context to it, I have a full-time job outside of what I do in adoptions. So this is a passion of mine, and it's just me with the agency. So I only work with a handful of families at a time just to ensure I'm just doing it in the best way possible um, and giving them my attention and, and being able to just provide good services, not just take on people to take them on. I, over the years, have, and even currently right now, I think the pushback from the adoptive parents would pretty much, it's always a common theme of they sort of get in a rush to want to, move the process along and sort of check off the boxes. I always have to remind them that's not what this is. And we really need to get this right now so that you don't come back a year, five years, 10 years down the line and go, I need help. So that's really the pushback I get from adoptive families is I have to slow them down sometimes and say, no, we're going to do this extra training or no, we're going to do an extra consultation with maybe a birth mom or an adoptee or a person of color being adopted into, you know, a white family. What does that look like? So a lot of just, they don't know what they don't know and until I, until I tell them, you know, until I connect them with others that can also tell them. So that's really kind of the pushback on on that end. Um, I've had a little bit of pushback in the sense of when reaching out to agencies or consultants. And I'll take that back. I don't really call it pushback, more so 
they will maybe post something that they're supporting, you know, an idea of listening to adoptees and to educate and that they support education. But yet when I reach out, very little reach back out and say, how can we support you? How can we connect this to our families? It's, it's uh, not shocking, but it's definitely eye-opening. It just further solidifies why I do what I do. And I just hope that by making waves and being a part of helping make it adoptee centered, that one day, one day I'll have more support from, from agencies and attorneys. So, Have you come across adoptive parents who don't agree with the adoptee being centered? They don't come out and say it directly, but in just my clinical judgment, because I'll have interactions with them. I'll go out to their home. I'll do the home visit. We go through extensive paperwork and conversations and interviews. So they don't directly say it, but in their nonverbals and responses verbally to me of just sort of how they would navigate through things, I pick up on it. And that's when it's a red flag to me and I have to pause and I have to go through how can I help this family figure this piece out because it's just vital. You're essentially going to have a child in your home and taking care of them. We make mistakes. I get that. But let's try to figure things out on the front end so that it's not something that is sort of reactive and crisis mode versus preventative. Right. And I hear that so often, adoptee-centered. And I often wonder, well, I wonder what it means to that person that's using it, whether it's a birth parent or adoptive parent, particularly. So for you, what does it mean? Or do you have an example of what adoptee-centered, like, I guess maybe the three main things you would say suggest being adoptee-centered. I think, oh gosh, only three? <laughs> I'm joking. Well, as many I, I, as you want. <laughs> we adoptees uh, love to hear as much as you yeah. want about adoptee-centered. <laughs> I think adoptee-centered is, it has, to, it just simply to me means having access to your story, whether that's your birth certificate, your birth records, your medical history, your parents or extended family mental health history. It means so many things. Being a part of your story growing up, knowing where you came from, knowing your heritage. When you don't have those things, it creates different feelings in different people. But at least for me, being adopted, I, I do feel, yes, it's great that I know my first family, but I can't imagine not knowing my first family and trying to search and not getting anywhere. I, I, I can't come up with the word right now. It's not that I feel honored or whatever of knowing my first family, but I feel lucky to be able to say that I do and to know certain pieces of information that I just mentioned. That being said, that brings those nuances, of course, with just kinship care and navigating relationships. Adoptee-centered is, is all that. And just let us know who we are. Let us know our stories. 
there's a lot of power by a lot of people. It's just sad sometimes for me to watch. So, Yeah, you know what comes up for me from what you said is a sense of feeling grounded when you know the beginning of your story and know, I always say, who's who. For me, being in reunion with both sides of my biological family, I have a, a sense of, oh, okay, more answers. Now things are making a little more sense. And it grounded me in the beginning, and it continues to ground me. What comes up for me as far as adoptee-centered is when an adoptee is allowed to talk about adoption. It's a part of their identity, and it's something that is lifelong, and the space being created by any and everybody to say, hey, I get that you, you want to talk about this, and you have questions, and maybe... You're not looking for answers from any particular person at the time, but just to know they they see you and hear you as you express what's going on about this part of your identity. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> Feeling, I wrote that down, I, I love that. Feeling grounded, it very much describes when you feel grounded, you feel safe, right? You feel, at least for me, you feel safe, you feel safer, right? You feel less confused. You feel a sense of belonging, you know, it can get very lonely. For me, through kinship care, it's that sort of going back to that confused feeling of I'm in the middle, my adoptive family's on this side, my biological family's on this side, you know, my biological parents and family. And just there are still times till this day and even after, you know, my own therapy, I think that's very important to, to be part of if you can. I still feel that not quite grounded. I still feel that sort of, it's like I'm vacillating between where do I fit in? Well, I guess we can move right into you at 19, I believe, relinquishing a daughter. And wherever you want to start and however much you want to share would be great. Sure. Yeah, I I was 18 when I found out I was pregnant. I was a freshman in undergraduate studies. And this was right around the time when I look back on it, it all makes sense to me now, but this was right around the time that my biological sister, who was not adopted, who had stayed back with my parents, she and I were talking and she had told me that my father, our father, my biological father, had been trying to send letters and reach out more to speak and I wasn't being told that. And I was young and confused even more. And I just found myself in situations that were not that great and met a boy and found myself pregnant. And so I had my daughter, Lizzie, when I had just turned 19. You know, I had a, a plan of wanting, you know, making the decision to place her for adoption. And then I delivered her that day. I 
did not end up going through with my decision. I parented her for about four months. The time gets a little just due to the trauma part of it. I'm such a poor historian with time for about three or four months. And, you know, there's various pieces to that story, but kind of in a nutshell, I ended up changing my mind. I had thought that I had had the support that was told to me that I would have. And I love my parents, but I don't think that they were emotionally available for me at the time. And I felt very alone. I was scared. And I ended up reaching back out to an attorney at that time that worked with the family that I was communicating with and ended up relinquishing my rights after that. So yeah, she'll be 18 this year in August and going off to to college. We have an open adoption. I have communication with her adoptive mother. Last time I met her, she was five. Since then, it's just been, you know, we have each other's Facebooks, her mother and I. We have each other's phone numbers. You know, we just communicate probably every three months. You know, when I listen to first mothers, original mothers, birth mothers, what do you prefer to be called? Um, I go by birth mom. I use both, actually, kind of interchangeably. Birth mother, first mother. Um, I don't really have a preference. I've heard first mothers say that they're a mother that could not raise their child. And and the number one reason that always comes up is feeling a lack of support. And and that looks a lot of different ways for first moms, but it all boils down to that and that if they had felt the support or the promises to support were kept, they would have kept their baby. And and even just saying that right now, it it it's hard. Like it's hard for me to know that so many women who have relinquished were in that space. And, um, yeah, I just imagine it's just so difficult. It, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's a complex space for me to live in because I am adopted. I am a first mother. I am an adoption worker. But just over the time of doing this, it comes back to the same thing over and over and over again, which is there has to be preservation of family should be first, right? Um, That's just how I feel. I think preservation of families should be first. How do we keep the family of origin together? Um, Adoption is obviously an option when it needs to take place, right? To keep a child safe or just to keep a child safe, right? Is what it boils down to. But I just firmly believe that there should be more done at the federal level to trickle down, to have better governing of of these agencies and attorneys. And because it's this sense of power, right? There's not enough how can we help you know that you can parent, right? I wish that I knew or that I had the adults and the professionals around me at the time when I was 18 to tell me, this is how you fill out a job application. This is how you go on an interview. 
this is how you apply for food stamps if you need it. This is how we can get you into some help with housing. And I didn't have that. At that time in my life, they were scrapbooks, right? They call them adoption profile books. Um, but it was just this giant stack of books that were about different families. And you sat down with a caseworker and they walked you through a decision to place. I never had conversations of how can we help you parent if that's what you choose. A weird space to be in, a very lonely space to be in. Yeah. I don't know if that helps describe it, but just. Yeah, it does. I think it starts with the adults and professionals. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, when I think about the trauma of being a an, an, uh, relinquished person slash adoptee, like there's trauma with that. Um, maybe for not everybody is traumatizing, but there's a degree of trauma. And then there's, of course, trauma with relinquishment. And so what have been the tools that have helped you or are helping you to heal from that? Yeah, I think it's multiple things. The biggest piece now, right, is just speaking with others, not necessarily with with my same experience, but with others who have been adopted, yes, but, or have placed, right, but that come from different walks of life. I know I had mentioned earlier, you know, I talked to Veronica with Rooted in Adoption daily. We just have formed this friendship that I can't thank her enough for. And I needed her at this moment in my life, but speaking to others that have walked what you've walked or that have walked in similar shoes, therapy is huge. I think finding an adoption competent therapist, you know, you want to find one that's adoption competent and there's ways of of sort of screening them during a 15 minute consultation, free consultation, and to ask them questions. And I want to say Veronica has that information, um, sort of like tips and how to go about it. If you ever wanted to look at her site, she has it up there. You can reach out to her, but, um, therapy was, is huge, you know, having connection with your first family. That's been something that has helped me. Each person, you know, comes from their own struggles. And at times that interaction with my first family, you know, depending on who the family member is over time, it's now, it's now gotten better. You want to make sure it's a healthy relationship and that you have boundaries, just interaction with, with my first family. Like I said, listening to others, therapy, journaling. My gosh, journaling is, even if it's just one sentence, you know, it doesn't have to be this intricate thing, but just throughout your day, getting the thoughts and the feelings and the words and everything that is manifesting inside your body out on paper is pretty cathartic. Uh, Reading too, reading other people's stories. Mm, All that you said resonates with me. I totally agree. And yeah, Veronica's really big on adoptees getting connected with the best therapist. So 
I will put that in the show notes. And, and I encourage listeners after you listen here to go back and listen to the episode from season four with Veronica. I think it's 64, May 10th of 2022. Uh, it's a powerful account of what she's come to understand about being linked up, being connected with an adoption competent therapist. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. As we kind of wrap things up, I, I've been asking this question lately on and off the podcast. What would Tara in 2024 tell Tara back in 2014? Ten years in ago. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um if anything. Well, yeah. Oh, let's see. I I would tell her be kind to yourself. You are worthy of love. You are in a space of feeling safe and you are a darn good mother. And I actually, I take that last one back because 10 years ago, my, my oldest is seven. My stepdaughter is 15. And so I was helping parent her. So yeah, I don't take that back. You're a darn good stepmom. Um, it's okay to feel love from another person. And you're okay. Yeah, Olive, that's good. Yeah. Ten years a lot has happened. I think uh, people have changed in ways they probably have to sit and reflect on because certainly in the last 10 years we've experienced the pandemic, you know, things shutting down and having to pivot and and many losses, you know, quite a few grief-filled moments, maybe even days. Um, mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I've I've just been sitting with that question, and thank you for answering it. I know I kind of put you on the spot there; it just kind of popped up for me. But I, um, yeah. yeah, I just appreciate having this conversation with you. And if there's anything I did not ask you that you wish to share, by all means. Thank you for having me. I I really appreciate this and this opportunity to just share my story. If you asked me a year ago to do it, I probably would have said I'm not ready yet, but I've reached a space of feeling comfortable. You know, I do have a workbook coming out and it's more than likely going to be centered around a workbook for adoptive families and professionals and mental health professionals. Really anyone can, can navigate through it, you know, if you're an adoptee. Um, as well, but it's going to be titled Navigating Adoption, Search Reunion, Disenfranchised Grief, and Learning to Heal Through It All. I encourage you, if you are an adult adoptee, to really look at it because it does touch on the aging process with birth parents and navigating a parent, birth parent dying or being under hospice care and just sort of the grief that comes along with the whole process of of life and getting older and navigating your story. So, Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah, congratulations. And I think that's a really important topic, the aging process with parents and the grief associated with that, for sure. 
be sure and keep me up on on the links for that because I can always add them to the show notes whenever you have them. Just thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. It's been great. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. Thank you. When Tara said to me that if I had asked her to be a guest on here a year ago, she would likely have said I'm not ready yet. That is a reminder to me that it's natural and normal to trust the process of growth. Not yet doesn't mean not ever. I know quite a few black kinship adoptions, but rarely get to hear from other adoptees who were able to stay with their family of origin. As Dr. Joyce McGuire Pavel eloquently pointed out during our recording that aired August 1st, 2023, during season eight, episode 131, kinship adoptees have family dynamics that aren't present in other kinds of adoptions, and it is far from seamless. I advocate for family preservation when possible, yet am no longer naive to how difficult that can be for an adoptee and other family members. I agree with an adoptee being allowed to have open dialogue, age-appropriate, and addressing the elephant in the room. It is a part of our lifelong identity and worthy of being something that others hold space for. I feel few can argue that when a person feels grounded through being seen and heard, they feel safe. Who doesn't want a sense of safety in the world? The words that have been consistent from all birth moms that I've spoken to throughout the years upon learning of their pregnancy is feeling a lack of support. Whenever I have the source of strength from another person during a difficult time, it has assisted me in making decisions that I might not have made without it. Thank you, Tara, for having this conversation with me. From the first email introducing us, then our conversation by phone soon after, I felt your heart for being an adoption reformist and helping prospective adoptive parents enter the process with information to best serve the adoptee. You seem to have transformed your personal pain into purpose and become a service to other adoptive people. I look forward to the publication of Navigating Adoption, Search, Reunion, disenfranchised grief and learning how to heal through it all. In closing, my time with Tara reminded me of a song by Al Jarrell titled If You Believe. A verse in part says, I make this promise to look for that light. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Thank you for being here.